Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com, brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. I'm Matthew Rota, your host, and joining us today is Danita Rotabaugh, Mike Telford, and David Newman. How are you guys doing today? Great. Doing great. So we're going to talk about the swine industry through the decades, and I'm really excited about this topic because so much has changed, and sometimes it's really difficult to appreciate where you are without going back and remembering where you started. So if each of you would be willing to introduce yourself a little bit, where you were from, maybe talk about yourself and your background and how you got involved with the swine industry briefly, that would be awesome. And I'd love to start with Danita. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm Danita Rodeba. I'm a pork producer and grain farmer from Rensselaer, Indiana. I grew up on a diversified farm, grew up showing pigs, um, like many back in my day. And interesting when you ask how we got involved in the swine industry, um, besides raising pigs on the farm, um, I was reminded this year at our state fair that really my entree into the swine industry and especially into volunteering for the pork industry and being involved in the pork industry organizations was actually 50 years ago at the state fair when I was Indiana Pork Queen. Um, that gave me the opportunity to go to county meetings and to um, attend the national meetings uh, through that role, but went right on to a state committee with um, what was then Port Council Women and into state committee work and um, soon had the incredible opportunity to be part of national committees um, and on the women's group. And that just, I was on MPPC board in the 90s, as Mike Telford can tell you. And so seeing that perspective of the industry, um, when I was on MPPC board to appreciate the value of checkoff, but also appreciate um, the value of the policy work and how it all is dependent on each other and interwoven has just been incredible opportunity. So I was president of the pork board in um, 05, 06, went on to be chairman of the United States Meat Export Federation, which there again was just an incredible opportunity to see a broader perspective of the industry. And it's interesting, I was recalling that uh, in my interview for MPPC board, when they asked us what areas we excelled in and what areas maybe weren't our interest, I, I recall I said research, and it's interesting. Today, I serve on the the board of directors of the Foundation for Food and Ag Research and um, represent Purdue at the National Council on Ag Research and Extension and Teaching. So I've learned a lot about research through the pork industry. And I'll just leave it there and we'll have more discussion later. That's awesome. Hey, what about you, Mike? Well, after being raised on a small farm in central Iowa, uh, where we had all species of livestock, I graduated from Iowa State in animal science. Um, while I was there, I got involved in the student radio station, ended up being the manager after several years. And so it was really natural for me in those days to work in farm radio and television. I had some really great mentors in broadcasting like Keith Kirkpatrick and Lee Klein, WHO, Ron Michelson at WMT, along with Jack Crowner. And on the television side, Jack Caffrey, who went on to do network television at NBC in New York. One day in 1978, I received a call from Russ Sanders, who was the executive director at the Iowa Pork Producers Association, and he hired me to be his field director doing media, working the voluntary implied consent checkoff, and also getting involved with several committees. About five months later, Russ decided to join his brother at Iowa Road Builders. And so at the ripe old age of 24, I found myself being the administrator of one of the largest commodity groups in the state, 
with over 90 county organizations and over 20,000 members. That'd be quite the task for a 24 year old. It was, uh, it was an awakening. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> uh, the first membership drive I ever did, uh, I had never done before or seen before. So it was uh, a lot of time spent with my nose in the file cabinet, reading all of the past programs and where the organization had been. How about you, David? Sure. Thank you. Well, so um, been in the pork industry my entire life. Uh, grew up on a diversified livestock operation in South Central Missouri. Um, ironically, uh, I don't know if Danita and uh, Mike know this, but I farm just south. I'm still a pork producer today. Um, we own a fair to finish operation in a meat business, and I work for National Pork Board. Ironically, through all this story is where I ended up um, to the end of this story. But uh, we farm just south of West Plains, Missouri, which at one point in time was the feeder pig capital of the world. Um, and uh, my dad and Pig Paul were good friends and many of the other people. So I've been hearing these stories as though I lived them myself, even though I didn't my entire life about the pork story, which was literally written as a book. Um, uh, and we have a, a copy here in the office and I keep one on my shelf. So, so uh, my parents were pork producers, both of them their whole life. That's what they did for a career. I grew up in this business and uh, eventually uh, following leaving the farm, went to the University of Missouri. I ended up at North Dakota State uh, with a PhD in meat science, muscle biology, and have worked in the field of animal science for, for a long time. Uh, in this process, I'm a big believer in service and working for an organization and for an industry. I became involved uh, on the National Pork Board Board of Directors, served two terms there, and uh, was president in 2020 and 2021 during the COVID-19 pandemic. And my timing is impeccable on that. And uh, <laughs> followed that position with uh, being involved with USMEF, similar to Donita, have most recently served on the executive committee. And now through a you know, it's very unique the way life works now through all of these years of experience in the pork industry and being involved. I am uh, now the senior vice president of market growth at National Pork Board and excited to be working once again on behalf of all the U.S. pork producers. So it's all things pork for all of us. That is awesome. And before we get into each decade and we really break things down, I like to ask some fun questions. So these will be surprises. These are going to be fun. Um, you've already kind of told us where your uh, school allegiances lie. So I'd like it if you guys could each share your go-to karaoke song. If you had to sing one, what would be your go-to karaoke song? We'll start with Danita. <laughs> Well, since you brought up our University of Allegiance, I will also share, I'm chairman of the Purdue Alumni Association, so I'd sing Hail Purdue anytime. <laughs> what about you, Mike? Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm more of the humor side, so I suppose it'd be all my exes live in Texas. There you go. <laughs> what about you, David? <laughs> well, that's funny, but that is a surprise. I'm going to say... Uh, Waylon Jennings, only daddy that'll walk the line. Now, there's no surprise where we actually make you try and sing that here on the on the podcast, but uh, that's good. So now if anybody sees you in public and you're close to a karaoke bar, they know where to take you and what to ask for. So, <laughs> <laughs> so to dive into today's topic, I'd like to start with Mike. And Mike, can you talk about some of the priorities of the checkoff in the late 80s and early 90s? Well... You know, having worked on the history of the organization, um, we spent a lot of time working with volunteers. And because of the voluntary checkoff, there were a lot of changes that took place in there. It was a, a pleasure to really know people like Roy Cappy and Virgil Rosendale, uh, Wendell Murphy, Pig Paul, and others who were instrumental in if you would, laying the foundation for the National Pork Producers Council, 
uh, and it really all depended on participation and membership. But we spent a ton of time before the legislative checkoff at the national level, uh, continuing to work with members in the field. And it was primarily because of the funding that was needed to conduct all the programs. What were some of the projects and programs? Can you can you dive into that a little bit? Well, I, you know, it, it it's really interesting because, um, you know, back in those days, we were doing things like ground pork spec sheets, which, you know, the organization is still working on. But in those days, nobody knew how to make a product. And so, we, you know, we would have to talk to meat managers in grocery stores and give them, okay, here's the outline on how you actually prepare the product. We spent uh, a lot of time with Iowa, Fine Iowa Meats, where we would go to retailers in major cities, uh, put producers in the stores, and they would be special promotions coordinated with the retail chain, a packer, and the producers to actually meet consumers and talk about the product. Um, and there you know, were so many programs uh, that were involved from the standpoint of product repositioning. So pork the other white meat was a big one when the checkoff first started. Uh, but uh, before that, we had programs like leaning on pork, everything to communicate, uh, you know, what was really, really important. One of the things that, uh, that I thought was um, interesting for me um, was that, you know, because of Nebraska investing um, and their meat science department, um, they were able to, uh, to come up with flaked and formed product. And that research developed and created, if you will, the McRib. Um, I remember Bob Rust, who was our meat guy at Iowa State, uh, we had a problem where food operations were telling us they really needed ground bacon. And Bob said, that's easy. And he went back into the meat lab and took those bellies, rolled them up, stuck them into basically a bologna tube, took the air out of them, and then started slicing them sideways. And, of course, that started round bacon, which immediately was adopted by several of the fast food operations. Um, the, uh, the, the thing I have to say is that there were some tremendous people, and one of those was a gentleman by the name of Tom Dusler. And he was the vice president of Oscar Mayer. And uh, of course, he was part of the gang that uh, back in the day in the 60s and 70s, they came up with the Wienermobile. Um, I wish I were an Oscar Mayer Wiener. My baloney has a first name. I, I mean, just really incredible marketing when you think about it. Uh, and uh, he was one of the architects of that marketing group. But he really said, that the consumer really only is concerned about three things. Number one, does it taste good? Number two, is it good for my family? And number three is how much does it cost? And when you think about the product, it has changed. And the marketing principles really have not, and the consumer really has not. Some of their attitudes have changed, like, they want more meals away from home. They want to spend less time cooking. But those three principles are still true today. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to see what principles are still true today and, and what challenges might still be true today. Uh, and it's funny you brought up Oscar Meyer because uh, I had my wife do a bucket list thing once and having a Wienermobile was one of those uh, bucket list items. She thought it'd be so fun to be able to do prom nights and uh, and uh, bachelorette parties and be able to drive around in a wienermobile and uh, we give her a hard time for that but it's it's kind of funny it's incredible how good of a marketing job that company did um, so to kind of progress here when we look at the things that have that have happened after that Denise can you talk about what the priorities were during your presidency um, certainly I think. Um, because I had the opportunity to serve on MPPC board um, during the mid 90s, it, it's interesting how much we did during my term on pork board, which started in 01, built off of that, which is, is great for the industry that we could 
um, continue that it means that we hit the mark, but we can continue to build off the priorities that we had um, in the decade prior. But when when I was president, I I think when I pulled up a list of what the eight critical issues were, um, was grow domestic demand, increase exports of U.S. pork, enhance consumer eating experience, develop industry leaders, establish effective issues management process, establish industry standards, define pork the other white meat message, and then positively impact the industry image with local communities. And, you know, when I look at each one of those, of course, um, because of my experience on USMEF, you know, the export market is um, one that I see as really important. And it was interesting, you know, back in 05, we celebrated that we had had um, successful years in growing our exports. Uh, exports that year were only 12 percent of our production, which boy, has that changed. And we were exporting about uh, kill is 64,000 pigs per day. And you think of the growth that we've had since then. Um, our, our top markets back then were Japan and Mexico. And, but we did celebrate 15 years of consecutive export growth. So you see the trajectory that we're on. And then, of course, to know the numbers today and what that's meant to our industry. Um, on the domestic side, you go back, that was back in the day, I don't know how many might remember this of our Don't Be Blah campaign. Um, and, you know, we could talk about if it was successful or not successful or, you know, what the message was, but, you know, it was just to add some excitement around pork. Um, we had worked with pork, the other white meat for years and trying to get the message across that it's part of a healthy diet. And this was to say that Pork can be ingredient too. It doesn't have to be a center of the plate cut. And it was just to encourage consumers to use pork um, in their daily menu planning. Um, we've shifted a initiative called the Pork Information Bureau to try to get that information about pork and pork in the diet um, to junior high schools and middle schools. And that, that was our focus. We also talked a lot about the growth of the Hispanic market back then and um, we did develop some programs in the Hispanic market and we know how, how that is growing. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, when I look back at um, initiatives that we started during my time on pork board and especially my year's president, some things that we went through and things that we launched, um, we were negotiate, negotiating the purchase of pork, the other white meat. We were still coming off the separation of MPPC and Pork Board and just what each of our roles were and um, how we can best bring value to the industry. But I think probably for me, the most memorable, even to this day, um, was a task force that I chaired on writing the ethical principles of pork production. That was a pork pork board task force um, for, we did invite MPPC to, to set in on that task force. And um, Kurt Farrell was the one from MPPC that set on that task force early until he um, left MPPC and then, um, and had other responsibilities. And then Dallas joined um, late, late in the process. But um, hearing the conversation around the table and, and we had, of course, um, pork producers. Rod Hamilton from Minnesota was on. So he was a state legislator at that time, not only with Christiansen's and a pork producer, but a state legislator. And we had an ethicist and um, someone with a divinity um, degree and um, Dave DePetri. We just had a wonderful group. And I remember um, we had had a pretty productive meeting. Charlie Arnett was our facilitator. And the next morning, um, we were reacting to where we were in the writing process of these ethical principles. And Mark Legan, a producer from Indiana, which I so admire, was on that. And he said, you know, I had a hard time sleeping. <laughs> we're like, what? We thought we had a great, great day. And he said, because we wanted those ethical principles not only to be realistic, but to be aspirational. And he said, as I read through those and I ponder on those, you know, I have to wake up every morning committed to this. Is this and accomplish this? Is this, are these all realistic? Are this something we can do and commit to? And through that conversation, we refined them. Of course, then they were adopted um, at Pork Forum. Um, I think that was 07. But then um, that was the outgrowth then of the We Care program was um, that Pork Board Committee on writing the ethical principles. And, you know, I could 
go into other efforts that started during that time. You know, many don't know that Pork Board was one of the leaders in the formation of the Grow America Project in Indiana, which then merged with Best Food Nation, became the Center for Food Integrity. You know, during the, my time as president, we, um, you know, we talked about the industry image and those conversations led to the outgrowth and the development of the Operation Main Street program. So just a lot of... Um, a lot of foundation set during that time that we've we still use today, and um, and I could go on, you know, about research and and all those types of programs too. And um, my focus was for many years through MPPC board and through Pork Board was um, the environmental area and the environment served on the environment committee, and you know the boldness that we had when I was on it chaired the committee on when I was on MPPC board to be one of the first to write, you know, best management practices, environmental management practices of pork production, and then to have the courage to go into the environmental dialogue on pork production with EPA and um, to work with the air emissions research and, um, you know, our on the farm operation and our sustainable management practices. And you look, think how we've grown in that area. Um, it's pretty exciting. Um, to see the foresight that a lot of producers had um, through those years that Telford um, described and then my time on MPPC board and pork board. So we have all of this foundation that's being set and a lot of tradition and uh, wins that I think progressed over time. Uh, David, you you hopped in right around the time of COVID. Um, I can't remember, did you start right before COVID or had you taken office right after COVID? No, I was on the board uh, for a full term, actually part of a second term prior to COVID. So what was that like coming in and serving prior? Um, what were what were you able to accomplish? What were some of the priorities? What were some of the really cool things you guys did? And then what was that COVID process like? Yeah, well, so, you know, laying the groundwork from Mike and Danita's conversation, there were enormous shoes to fill. Uh, if you look at this historically, going back through all of that time, we, uh, whenever you think about all the work that had been done and we care, and you think about all the work that had been done with market growth, and it's so interesting to hear, right? So many things have changed and yet so many things are the same. <laughs> right? I mean, at the end of the day, and I remind people of this all the time, the pork industry is, it's built around the concept that a consumer walks into a retail store and purchases pork or walks into a food service establishment and orders pork and they eat it and they like it enough to repeat the purchase. And if that doesn't exist, none of this exists. Right. And so this focus on the consumer and understanding all the changes in the industry have been really really uh, amazing. So pre-COVID, we were focused on this, you know, uh, this new disease we were all talking about called African swine fever and the risk it would pose to our industry and the risk it would pose to our ability to, you know, not only operate, but export and what that could potentially mean from us for us. And we were launching programs like AgView to talk about traceability and um, how we would interact with state animal health officials and, you know, what the risk factor was and how this stuff was spreading and what happens if ASF gets into Europe, which it did. What happens if ASF enters the Western Hemisphere, which it did. And along comes this new disease called COVID-19 and we have an animal pandemic that then ties into a human pandemic. And as we all know, the whole world seemed to uh, stop. And so uh, I will never forget that time, especially for our pork producers and the livestock industry in general, whenever we found out that there were plants closing and there were hogs backing up and you know, it was just a very trying time. I mean, it's quite literally when you look back at this and say, we were all just trying to survive. I think that's something that livestock producers have been saying forever, right? This is a, this is a career born out of passion when you're a farmer and we talk about survival. This was real survival. We were trying to survive 
as an industry. And we were literally, you know, watching um, hundreds of thousands or millions of people who were passing away from this disease. And so um, I was really proud to be a part of a team that was, you know, trying to find solutions for producers and that were trying to um, answer some hard questions and also be a resource for producers that while we, while we were struggling through this and, you know, we could, we could talk about COVID for days and days, but none of us want to, right? Anymore. Nobody wants to talk about it. I don't either. And I'm glad that we're all back into whatever you want to call a normal operational mode. But uh, on the backside of COVID-19, you know, we started to really uh, work with our global partners to work with our producers throughout the country and put an added focus into what brings us to where we are today. And, you know, I find it really interesting to hear Mike talk about, you know, ground pork initiative and all the work we've been doing on ground pork for the last, you know, we say sometimes the last several years, and it's really the last several decades and how uh, fortuitous that we were working on ground pork and getting ground pork expansion into retail and talking about it. And now you have, Prop 12, which is going to have a major impact in California and ground pork could be uh, an item or a product that could really quite literally help save the day on volume because we can export, um, we can actually bring ground pork into California. To hear Donita talk about multicultural and talk about how that has changed, you know, we have an incredible emphasis on multicultural today because right? Pork owns taste and flavor. And I think all of us know that. I mean, when we talk about taste and flavor, that is the opportunity for pork. Um, The multicultural audience is the future of our industry and consumption in a, in a big way. And so now you talk about multicultural, we talk about our domestic market development, how that ties in. Um, And now we start talking about nutrition Um, We start talking about, you know, barriers to consumption, we care, ag view, all these things. And it's really, I think if you look at it, we should all be proud because it's just a layered piece. All this stuff was built as a framework and a really good grounding. And here we are still fighting the good fight for our producers and, you know, trying to, to get pork into the hands of people all around the world. So can you talk about some of the upcoming projects around domestic market development with you and your new role? Sure. So um, I was hoping you would ask that because that is a big question since I walked in this door is we get this a lot, you know, saying, what is Port Board doing in marketing? You know, what do we do? And that's been a question for a long time. You know, why do we play in this space whenever we don't necessarily own a product? What we do is we help people find access. We help people answer questions, hard questions. We do data and insights. That multicultural piece is an excellent um, um, example of what we are doing in market development. So we have Jose de Jesus, who runs our multicultural programs here Um, and National Port Board and really putting a focus on um, the Hispanic market, the African-American market, the Asian market. Again, populations in this country that are growing rapidly that over-index on pork. That's a good thing, right? Understanding the cultural aspect of that, understanding um, the, the type of marketing efforts that we need to put into place. And we take those playbooks, if you will, of the strategy we need to have, and we put those in the hands of the people that are selling pork. So we work with packer processors. We work with individual retailers. We work with box stores. We work with producers even to understand. And of course, our biggest partner here is the states. And so we work with state organizations and their market development teams to help them understand how how it can work. You know, a good example is the the pork industry has been through some pretty tough times here lately. And everybody listening to this podcast knows that this has not been a good year. And it's really hard to watch uh, producers lose that much money during a time like this. I, I grew up in a family who 
survived 1998, to survive 2008, to now right during this year of 2023 and 2022, buying some of the most expensive feed we've ever had, um, right? And, and looking at market conditions. We have really worked hard, um, and I'll give you one example of that to try to, to grow the share. You know, we talk about this in our market development team all the time. Mike alluded to this earlier, and it's still the same today, right? Does it taste good? Is it good for my family? How much does it cost? That's what Mike said, right? And also, you know, you, you've got a, a, a portion of this population who believe that it's not good for you, which is not right. And we're going to talk about that later. But we have a uh, we have a blitz campaign that's going on right now on growing the base, growing the share, growing the use. That's our focus. Grow the base, grow the share, grow the use. And so during this time, it's important that we get as much product out there as we possibly can and help retailers and food service companies understand that market. So we have a retail blitz going on that's really targeted right now coming into the fourth quarter of the year uh, where the National Pork Board, our, our board of directors has put added money into retail blitz targeting specific markets where we know we can grow the base and grow the share. And then also putting added dollars into our largest partner, which is U.S. Meat Export Federation, into helping get market access and move more product in that international space. And I could give you literally hundreds of examples of ways that our team is working um, every single day to, to really put an added focus on this um, and be glad to talk about them. Yeah, you had mentioned a little bit about the group of individuals who don't think that pork is healthy for you, despite everything out there that is scientifically backed to suggest that it is very healthy for you. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing to um, address that group and that messaging? Sure. So um, our nutrition area here at Port Board is is an incredible effort and push that uh, the board of directors has had the foresight to look at and realize that nutrition is the barrier to consumption. Okay, this is really important. And um, for years, we have had some focus on human nutrition, but we have a laser beam focus on human nutrition right now. And um, our team is working really hard in uh, not only the area of talking about nutrition with the people that matter, who are the people that matter? I mean, of course it's consumers, but we get to consumers through registered dietitians. We get to consumers through physicians. And there is a lot of myth out there around the role that protein, um, so pork, plays in the human diet. And we're attacking that head on and we're attacking that head on with research. So we recently hired um, a director of research and nutrition, Dr. Kristen Hicks-Roof. They are working with our nutrition task force. Um, we have a group of individuals that are, you know, known all over the world for their expertise in human nutrition. And we're doing research in that area. We also hired um, um, Emily Krauss, who works in our, in our nutrition team. We talk about three things. We talk about the science, the story, and the endorsement. And so Emily works on the endorsement side of this. Really, how do we get out and talk to people? This, this next week, we actually have something called the Pork and Partners Roadshow where we bring registered dietitians in and we talk to them about facts, factual information around the role of human nutrition and the role of pork in the diet. Um, and then Kristen is carrying on the research and all of this has been led um, by an amazing team leader, um, Kara Belke, who's been on our team at the Pork Board and unfortunately just uh, recently passed away, but has left an incredible legacy of nutrition work in this organization. And um, now we're really talking about launching our new program, which you're going to see shortly called Surprisingly Pork, and talking about the role that this plays in the human diet and attacking many of the myths that are out there around nutrition and pork. So this is going to be a big, big emphasis. And this is about long range forecasting, right? I think when we think about nutrition, um, we kind of wonder what can we do? This is a long-term vision for the industry because we know if you look at data that where pork's position will be with 
key consumers of the future. And I'm talking about millennials, very specifically about millennial moms. I'm talking about Gen Z. I'm talking about Generation Alpha Beta, which I didn't even <laughs> make <laughs> old because I realized these, you know, we're talking about these young children today and how they're influenced by what they eat, how they eat. They eat differently than 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 uh, boomers eat. They eat different than um, other generations eat. And so we need to understand, uh, I say it many times, there's a reason that the rear view mirror is smaller than the windshield. We're looking out the windshield here and we need to understand because if you look at the 10 year forecast of consumption, we are going to have to go after these future consumers and we're gonna have to tell them about pork's nutritional value. We also need to think about portion size. We need to think about how we offer the product, how we package the product, how sustainability plays a role in the product. It's a really complicated um, matrix. But the good news is we're not playing defense. We're playing offense. And that's something through all the great leadership through people like Mike and Danita that we, we learned some really hard lessons in this industry about not playing offense. And so here we are today and we're kicking down doors and uh, we're going to keep fighting for producers. That's awesome. Now, one common theme, especially building on this idea of nutrition and consumption, the ground pork initiative. Sounds like that's been a thing for a long time. I'd really like to hear your guys' take on why you think that's been such an uphill battle. I know growing up with the ground pork, it I love it. Nothing better to me than a pork burger um, uh, on a on a summer day. It's just it's just it's awesome. Why do you think ground pork has been that uphill battle for us, considering the the flavor and nutrition that that comes with it? Uh, maybe start with. Mike, and we'll work through Danita and then back to David. Well, I think in, in particularly with ground pork, you've got a situation where people are, you know, you know, they're just from a tradition standpoint, it's it's been hamburger, hamburger, hamburger. I remember when we went to McDonald's in Oak Brook, Illinois, and we were trying to get uh, ground pork on the menu. And so we showed up with our pork patties that were the same spec as their beef uh, that they use in Big Macs and all of their products. And we grilled them in their oven. Their chef did it. And um, chef said, well, we have a problem. And I said, okay, what, what, what's your take on this? And he says, Mike, he says, uh, McDonald's has spent millions and millions of dollars communicating to the consumer that our product is 100% beef. And when I make a Big Mac and I use ground pork with the sauces and everything else that we have in there, you can't tell any difference. Huh. And to me, that is also a key to where we need to go. I am absolutely amazed. Um, ground pork is half the price of the other ground meats. And that is a tremendous opportunity going forward. I am just amazed uh, when I go to the meat counter and I do this when I travel. I try to find the local meat counter and see what's going on. Today, we have pork tenderloin at $2.99 a pound. And it is, in, in my opinion, better than beef tenderloin, which is the same price as lobster. So price right now, I think, going forward, where inflation is a big concern, um, I mean, pork has a real opportunity, I think, here in the near future of emphasizing the price difference at the same time you're getting, in my opinion, better quality. But you, Danita, why do you think it's been an uphill battle? Well, you know, as, as producers, that, that's been a question that we've all asked because, um, you know, when you have the opportunity to serve pork burgers to a group or, um, you know, when my kids were growing up, we do team dinners and, and cookouts at school and everybody loves them and wonders why they're not easier to, to obtain. And so, you know, I was excited that pork board reinvigorated their campaign, their ground pork campaign, and trying to find those answers. Um, it's just uh, my son-in-law didn't grow up in agriculture, um, one of them, and um, they live in Zionsville, Indiana, um, uh, 
it's just amazing, amazing the reaction they get when they grill pork burgers for their circle of friends and how many of them, you know, want that to be a a direct connection to pork burgers for them through Kay and Jeff. And so we know that the taste is there and we know the desire for the product is there. You know, I think part of it too, um, one thing that we launched during my time on pork board was that think, think pink campaign. And because people were afraid to leave their pork pink or to eat, consume their pork pink. And I think that's part of that educational process um, that David touched on too. And, because that affects the eating experience if they're not confident in how they prepare the product, either a ground product or um, a center of the plate product, they're not confident in the preparation. So they can't have the same eating experience or that great eating experience that we know that they can um, get with with ha- having you know, a pork chop or with a pork burger to be able to say, you know, I like my burgers medium or medium rare, but I can't do that with pork. They need to realize and know and be confident that they can. So, you know, everybody's touched on the the layers that we have and, you know, the work we did um, prior to my time on MPP Seaboard or Pork Board uh, with ground pork that Mike talked about. And then now um, all of the areas, I, I, I could just listen to David talk about the new areas all day because um, I think they're spot on on what we need to do and where we can make a difference. And, you know, it's just that opportunity for that consumer to taste at one time and they'll be a believer um, because of the flavor and the eating experience you get from a pork burger is just amazing. All right, bring it home, David. Ground pork is awesome. We can all generally agree on that, right? I mean, yes. once you get somebody into the ground pork business, it's pretty amazing. Um, so we have seen incredible traction on ground pork in the last several years. So, you know, you have all this decades of push leading up to this. Um, I can remember being at Pork Forum and states bringing, uh, you know, bringing to the floor uh pieces around ground pork and why we're not doing more with ground pork and every state fair, right? Every world pork expo. I mean, it's, it's been about ground pork. It's in a better position today than it's ever been. And I'll tell you why, because our, um, a lot of the credit here goes to our domestic market development team that's led by Kirsten Hafer. And they just put, I mentioned this laser beam focus earlier, but we went out into the marketplace and we really, talked about ground pork's opportunity in the case. We did test and learns with some of the largest retailers in the country where we penetrated uh, stores. We talked about whether or not ground pork would cannibalize the ground beef set, which it doesn't. We talked about ground pork as being an extended offering um, also for price, which by the way, I don't want pork to be cheap, right? I want pork to be, I want I want volume and value uh, because our producers deserve it because we own taste and flavor. We, we have our own space in this business. And so I don't want it always to be about being cheap. I want it to be because it is really great. And so I, I almost asked earlier if it was, if we think it might be underpriced or undervalued, because I feel like I'd pay more. All right. I also know it. Yeah. So the data on this actually, I mean, when you look at at nationwide, our data and insights team tracks price of poultry, price of beef, price of pork every single day. Um, Pork is not in a great position, especially when you look at products like the loin that's been dragging down the cutout for 40 years. That's why we have a pork loin task force right now that's trying to tackle a decades old problem. Okay. The reality is though, ground pork actually sells pretty well. And um, if you go into a retail store and you go to buy ground pork, I bought 10 pounds of ground pork yesterday because I'm making uh, pork smash burgers in the pork board office today. So if you get a chance, you can come on over. Um, And, you know, it was priced very competitively against beef. As a matter of fact, it was priced more than 80, 20 ground beef in the retail store. I purchased it, but it sells well and it resonates well. And here's what we learned. Uh, you need to have multiple offerings, multiple SKUs. So this, you know, the ground pork we were trying to sell for years was like a 70-30 blend, right? The, it was a little bit fattier than some of the other um, offerings that we saw. We know that 80-20 blends sell well. We know 90-10 blends sell well. And consumers like to have a choice. 
And when you have a 90-10, when you have more than one ground pork skew in the set, it actually rises sales. Okay. Um, there's another important piece that Danita brought up, and that is pork as an ingredient. That is the future of pork. Again, the multicultural audience, pork today, when we talk about marketing, is not about center of the plate. It's about pork as an ingredient, right? We know that it works well in Asian dishes. We know that it works well in Indian cuisine. We know that it works well in traditional American dishes. And that's not just ground pork, that's all pork. But uh, it is a really big opportunity. Those test and learns went from, you know, going into some retailers and then expanding it nationwide. Five years ago, you go into retail and you'd actually have a hard time finding a ground pork skew. Today, you can go to any retailer and it's there. That's a testament to the work that the market development team has done in partnership with packer processors and retailers into showing them um, uh, uh, an item that won't cannibalize the meat case. No, I love it. I love having all of your perspectives throughout the decades, especially on a campaign where we can see progress and, and change. I appreciate you all taking the time to go over each and every one of your guys' experiences, how you worked with producers, the key initiatives. Um, it's really amazing. And I couldn't be more grateful for everything that you've done to lay the future of the industry that, that I am now in and that, uh, we hope to see grow and, and flourish here in the future. So thank you all very much for your time and for being guests on the Popular Pig Podcast. If you have any final thoughts, I want to open that up uh, here briefly uh, for just a closing remark, and we'll start with Mike. Well, I think the pork industry has tremendous opportunities, and I am amazed uh, today when you travel around the Midwest, you really don't see pigs. You certainly don't smell pigs anymore. And... Um, it, it, it's incredible how the industry has applied technology uh, to get to the point where it is today from where it was uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And I think the future is exciting. And the main thing is we need to fit products to where the consumers are. And uh, Dave has done a good job, I think, of outlining that. How do they want the product presented? How do they want it packaged? Uh, they want to know how the product was raised. And as time has gone on, we've got fewer and fewer consumers that have any knowledge about food production. And so I think the transparency that the industry has presented on how we do our thing uh, is critically important um, for the consumer and um, for the public in general. And... Um, I, I do some work right now for Iowa Farm Animal Care. And one of the things that uh, we obviously want is that every farm animal is raised, um, you know, efficiently and correctly and also humanely. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, some of the biggest issues that I run into in that regard are things like mental health and um, people that are hobby farmers and things along those lines. And, um and and those are really not part of the industry anymore, uh, to be honest with you, because of all of the uh, management techniques that producers have involved uh, in raising pork. And I think it's just critically important that we continue to educate the consumer, not just only on the product, but how we raise it and uh, and be transparent about it and be proud of it. What about you, Danita? Yes, Mike shared some really good thoughts there. I, I think that is really important. And I really appreciate um, the pork industry, how we have had that holistic approach to um, the issues in our industry um, as we promote a product to make sure that um, we can produce that product um, and that our producers have the tool to do that in a sustainable manner has been really important to the pork industry. I, I too think that the future is bright and especially as you hear consumers today many times going back to um the taste and if it's good for my family um you know i think if there's a a good outgrowth of some of the alternative proteins or even the culture meat product whatever um i think that there is a reawakening to young mothers and how 
important animal protein is to development and brain development of their child. And I think that the science, I, I love Porkward's approach now, like, as David mentioned too, to um, also have those that can tell the story for us that know the science, um, appreciate pork as a product and should be included in the diet and then can do the endorsement for that. So um, I'm, I'm just really too excited about the future and, um, David, I could, like I said before, um, all of the programs there at Pork Board that address those issues, that keep the consumer um, top of mind, but then to make sure that our producers have the tool that we can supply the product the consumer demands is really important for us going forward. And I appreciate all your leadership, David, there at the Pork Board. David, what would your thought, final thoughts be? Sure. Thank you. We're in a good position. And there's a reason that our, you know, that the people behind me and, and, and our forefathers had this insight to create um, the National Pork Producers Council, to create the National Pork Board, to create a process where we could go out and just quite honestly kick doors down for producers, right? On how we talk about our product, how we raise our product, um, and how we fit into the average household in America and around the world. So, you know, our current strategy master brand is called Real Pork, okay? And you probably have seen that before, but I, I like the way that Bill, even our CEO says it, you know, it's, it's real pork raised on real farms by real farmers. And when you get into the marketing side, it's really nutritious. And I say it's also really delicious. And so we do own a unique space in, in, this, uh, in the world of food. And so I'm excited to be a part of it. The future is bright. Yes, we have challenges, but uh, we've overcome a lot of things in the past. And we're going to continue to knock down those barriers moving forward. So I, you know, I think if you're a pork producer listening to this, um, you can have confidence that there's a lot of people out there who are working hard on your behalf to um, make this the best that it can be. So I just appreciate the time and certainly appreciate Mike and Danita, all the perspective and help that you give. And, and you can come talk to me anytime, Danita, because I love to talk to you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.